I appreciate Kevin giving me the opportunity to come up here and share with you guys. Um, before I started, I wanted to, to kind of show you my qualifications, because you might be thinking, why is Mike up here preaching or speaking or whatever it is that you, know, you might uh, call this? Uh, you can tell me afterwards what it was. Uh, but anyway, my qualifications are in the Bible, and they're found in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. So if we have that, go ahead and put it up there. Because I want to make sure y'all y'all feel good and comfortable about this. Um, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So I would be the foolish and I would be the weak one. So anyway, uh, the point being is that you don't, I mean, God calls us to do what God calls us to do. And whether we got an official title or not, um, it's always good to talk about, to talk about God. I'm just going to really make four basic points tonight, and they're very basic. I mean, it, pretty much everybody here probably already has all this down. This is like maybe a reminder kind of night more than anything. Um, so I'm going to give them to you right off the bat because you might, you, know, you might just want to leave after you hear them. Um, kind of like a spoiler alert. Ruby's not here, but Ruby, uh, she's in our college group. Ruby goes to the last page of a book and reads the last page before she starts reading the book. She like wants to decide if she's going to, you know, waste her time or not. I'm like one of these people that like in a movie, do not tell me anything about a movie. I mean, I get mad at the trailers because they kind of give the whole movie away. You know, she wants to know the very end. So I'm going to just give it to you right now. Uh, four basic points. Number one, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Number two, the devil hates your guts. Uh, number three, God has a purpose for your life. And number four, we need each other. Those are the four things that we're going to talk about tonight. I feel like I'm screaming in here. It's like echoing. Is this not like really loud? Okay. If you're good, I just don't want to like burst y'all's eardrums. Don't get excited. Huh? Oh, that's it. If I start, man, you better watch out. All right. So I just kind of want to start off kind of giving a little bit of my own story, my own testimony. I grew up going to church. So like a lot of people around here, you know, your mom drags you to church every Sunday and you go and you sit in the pew and you try not to get in trouble and I was usually not very successful at that. I do remember the first time I actually sat through an entire church service and didn't get in trouble at all. Like, I was very purposeful. I'm like, I'm not going to fidget. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to disrupt. I'm not going to talk. I sat there so quiet because what I, my plan was that maybe I'd get ice cream afterwards. That was my plan. So I did, have a, I did have a purpose for it. And so I sat there. I was so good. And after church, I just couldn't wait. I could tell my mom was so proud. So we're walking out, you know. And uh, I said, Mom, I said, did you notice how good I was? She's like, I did. And she says, now I know you can do it. And so now I expect it every single Sunday. So it didn't really work out for me. So anyway, I grew up going to church. Uh, considered myself a Christian because I went to church. Uh, said my prayers every night. Uh, matter of fact, I grew up Catholic. So if you, if you know anything about uh, growing up Catholic, when you, when you say a prayer, you do the sign of the cross before you start your prayer. So as a kid, I thought that was the same thing as like, you know, dialing up into heaven. You know, I'm like online, you know, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, so now I'm talking to God. So anything I say now, you know, it's, it's a conversation between me and God. So I would, you know, do the sign of the cross, I'd log on, and then I would start saying my prayers. But I would always say them at night when I was going to bed. And so next thing I know, I would like fall asleep. So now I'm thinking about things that aren't necessarily prayers. You know what I mean? And so I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Did I, did I sign off? Did I, did I do it again? Because when you're done, you do it again. And then like to me as a kid, I'm thinking that's when you like logged off. 
it literally tor- tormented me as a kid trying to determine if I was online or offline, you know, before they even had the terms online and offline. But I'm like, did I hang up or am I still on? And then I would do it again. I'm like, wait a minute. I might have just like opened it back up again. So as a kid, that really, truly tormented me. It was stuff like that that bothered me. All the sinful stuff I did didn't really bother me. It was like, am I talking to God about things I shouldn't be talking about or am I only doing my little holy moment right here? So anyway, that was my early kind of uh, church experience. Um, Then we get into, I'm just going to jump ahead to like my 20s, what I like to commonly refer to as BC. Um, During my 20s, didn't really have a whole lot of time for God, didn't really give a whole lot of thought to God. I would still go to church just enough to keep my mom off my back. Matter of fact, whenever uh, my oldest, when Alex was born, uh, I can remember the first Sunday we didn't go to church. And so my mom would regularly call me up and say, did you go to church today? And so I'm like, you know what? Because usually I would just lie. But I'm like, you know, Alex wasn't feeling good. And so, you know, I didn't go. And she's like, oh, well, that's okay. I'm like, really? Like, okay. So, you know, Alex had a tendency to be sick a lot on Sundays because it gave me a good excuse uh, not to go to church. Um, so anyway, I was having a good time. I loved to party. Man, did I love to party. Um, I wasn't really that good of an influence on the people in my life. I was definitely influencing them, but I was not influencing them very well. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had like a list of friends who their wives or girlfriends kind of basically blackballed me. They're like, you're forbidden to go out with Mike, especially after the sun goes down. Because they just knew that was not, that was, that was a recipe for trouble. And I was bad about ragging on people. So if somebody got up and said, hey, I got to go home. My wife is at home and she's waiting and all that. I'm like, oh, man, are you kidding me? You know, she, who's, who's wearing the pants here? I mean, I would say stuff like that. I would really give her a hard time. What's up, Kirk? My man. So anyway, that's, that's the kind of life that I was living in my 20s. I was living completely utterly for myself. Everything that I did revolved around me. The entire universe revolved around me. All of you unknowingly revolved around me. Y'all were just pawns in my game, and that was basically my life. Um, About that time, Tanya started seeking. Uh, I know that's a good word for it now. At the time, I just thought she was trying to get all holy roller religious on me. So she started going to like take, like she was taking, there's some Catholic classes you can take, and I don't even know, like they got like CCD when you're little, and they got another set of classes if you're converting to Catholicism, but then there was some other like adult thing, and I don't even know what it was, but she was going, which I was actually a little bit happy about at first, because it gave me another night to kind of go out and, you know, do my thing, so she would go do that with her, one of her girlfriends, and, uh, and I would just go do my thing. Um, so, but about that time, Tanya started like pushing back a little bit. She's like, you know, we really need to, to make some changes. You know, you really need to kind of, you know, take it easy or whatever. And I just didn't want anything to do with that. Um, I was one of those people, especially if I'd been drinking, I would fight kind of dirty. So I would, I would say things and do things in a way to try to end the argument. If you've been taking the marriage class that's offered on Thursday nights, or if you went to the Jimmy Evans thing, you kind of know what I'm talking about. But I can remember one time I went and played in a golf tournament, and it was a shotgun start at 7.30 in the morning. So we started at 7.30. Golf takes about 12, 14, 16 hours to play, if you don't know that. Um, 
She was expecting me home somewhere after lunch. I come rolling in about five or six to change to go out. And she wasn't happy at all. And so I brought a friend with me, my, my former roommate, because I figured that would dampen the blow a little bit. And so we come in and we're, you know, we're all laughing and having a good time and we're about to go out. And so Tanya's like, she's just so mad because she had decided that we were going to go to church that night. And I didn't know that. And this is before cell phones. So she didn't like call me, um, but she just assumed I would be home before sometime before five o'clock. Um, but I was the kind of guy like I can remember going in there and I and she was just really, really mad. But I didn't really care. I'm like, she's going to get over this. It really is just a matter of time. So I even went and I told her that I said, I just got one question. Are we going to divorce over this? And she's like, what? We're not going to divorce over it. I said, okay, so, so at some point in time, in the future, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, but you're going to get over this at some point, and we're going to be all good. I said, why don't you just get over it now and come with me? And she actually did, mainly because I think she was afraid we were going to kill ourselves. So she went and, and became our designated driver that night. But Tanya kind of got the last laugh because one day I came home, I came to work, we worked together and I, I had went to a meeting and when I came back from this meeting, Tanya was in our conference room with one of our clients. His name was Rusty Vincent. Well, it actually still is Rusty Vincent. Um, and I walk in and I see him in there talking and I could tell Tanya's been crying and I'm like, this is not good. Now, I didn't think that he had said something mean to her or whatever. I knew this, there was something spiritual going on here and so I walk in and Tanya's so excited she's like oh Mike I'm so excited I'm so excited I'm so excited Rusty has invited us to his church this Sunday and I'm like oh crap and I'm like um I think Rusty goes to one of those weird churches Rusty goes to one of those churches where people actually like read their bible and you know they actually like believe certain things and they're you know they're all holy rollers and bible thumpers and all that and so I walk in, and she's so excited, and I'm so mad because I'm like, there's no way this could end good. Because if we go to church with him, and then we don't ever go back, well, he's going to be offended. And he's a client of ours, so we could lose him as a client. If we don't go to church with him, he could be offended, and we could lose him as a client. So there, to me, there was just no possible good outcome to this scenario. And so I gently reminded her that we were going to be up at our camp that weekend, which was true, thankfully. I'm like, you know, I wasn't having to make it up. And so, so I'm like, oh man, Rusty, you know, that sounds great and all, but uh, we're going to be out of town this weekend. And of course he's like, hey, no problem. We'll do it next weekend. I'm like, oh, there's not going to be any getting out of this. So anyway, we go up to our camp and the whole time there, Tanya's like, I really want to go back and go to church. I really want to go back and go to church. I really want to go back and go to church, you know, like nonstop. So I'm like, okay, let's go get it over with. We'll go back and we'll go to church. So we show up at church, this other church. And uh, first of all, we show up at like, I don't know, nine o'clock or something like that. And it's like, they're like, oh, okay, well, you would go into the uh, adult Sunday school class down the, the hall. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, I'm here for church, not Sunday school. I mean, isn't that for kids? 
I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And so then they called Rusty because we told Rusty we weren't coming. So we let him know, like, whenever we were getting ready. She calls him and says, hey, we're coming. She tells his wife he's in a duck blind. You know, he went hunting. He was planning on going to church, but he wasn't going to quite make it to Sunday school. So he's trying to get back from the duck blind. He, she's, his wife is, is hurrying to get there to, to welcome us. Uh, we go to Sunday school. And so I can remember in Sunday school, uh, the, the teacher says, open your book to First uh, John, whatever. And so I'm like, you know, I have no idea what that means. I don't know where it is. I'm flipping through the table of contents. I finally find, you know, I turn to it and they start reading. And I'm like, look, I got this dumb look on my face, obviously, because she's like, uh, Mike, is something wrong? I'm like, I, maybe I have a Catholic Bible, but my, my Bible doesn't say anything like that. And she looks at you like, oh, you're in Big John, not First John. I'm like, I don't know what that means. She's like, okay, you're in the Gospel of John. So anyway, I felt like an idiot. Um, everybody else seemed to know everything in the world about the Bible. And so I really felt out of place. But about, probably about 15 minutes in, I could tell that God was doing something in my heart. I knew, I'm like, I, I, this is not good. I'm like, we're going to be back. I know we're going to be back. And so... That started my, my Christian journey. For the next year, uh, we went to church. Every time the doors opened, um, I kept waiting for somebody to tell me that I wasn't a Christian. I kept waiting for somebody to give me a reason to get mad and to leave, to judge me or whatever, because I didn't grow up the same way they did. I didn't go to the same church that they went to. But nobody ever did that. But then as I started learning more and I started reading more in the Bible and taking classes and, and hearing more scriptures, there were several scriptures that really just kind of scared me to death. Um, so like the first one was Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10. It says, We are all God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I'm like, wait a minute. God prepared something for me to do? There's something I'm supposed to be doing? I'm like, well, I knew I wasn't doing anything for God, so I knew that, that there was a problem there. It's like I needed to make some kind of adjustment. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, I just, surely that's just for pastors or teachers or Sunday school teachers or whatever, but not for me, right? And then there was uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 12, 18. Um, and this is part where he's kind of going down and talking about the parts of the body. And it's like every, you know, all the, the body's made up of different parts, and each one of them, you know, has a unique role, and they're all very important. And you can't have a part that's not that's disconnected from the body and it be healthy and that it work and that it function. You know, in this scripture here it says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. So I'm like, so not only does God have a purpose for my life kind of in this kind of global scenario, but he also has like this purpose for my life, like a, a role in like the church. Like there's something I'm supposed to be doing at church maybe besides just showing up you know, when the door is open. So I'm just, you know, again, I'm scratching my head. I'm like, maybe, I, maybe I'm missing something here. And then I get to the parable of talents, which is found in Matthew 25, uh, 14 uh, through 30. And I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to kind of summarize it. Basically, um, you know, the master goes and he's going to go away and he's got, he's got this, these bags of gold. He's got these talents. And he gives to one servant, he gives five. And to another servant, he gives three. And to another servant, he gives one. And then he goes away. And he comes back and he calls the people that he gave the, 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 the talents to. And they come back and they're like, hey, look, you gave me five. And look, I turned it into 10. And he's like, man, that is awesome. Great job. You're amazing. You know, uh, I'm going to give you even more. 
and, uh, and come and have a feast with me. I'm just so happy. And so, you know, that guy goes off. And then, and then the next guy comes. He says, you know what? Um, you gave me two. And look, now I have four. And again, he's super happy, just as happy as, as with the other guy. He's like, you know, okay, well, you doubled it. That's great. It's awesome. It's amazing. You know, uh, come have a feast. And the last guy comes in and he's like, well, you know what? I just kind of went and buried mine because, you know, I was a little bit scared and I was a little bit concerned. You know, you're kind of a hard man and all that. He said, so I buried mine. And so now I'm giving it back to you. And he got like mad, super mad at this guy. I mean, so mad at him that he basically is like, you know, take this worthless guy out of here, kick him out, throw him out there where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I remember seeing that for the first time and I'm thinking, I don't even know what my talents are. So there's no chance I'm using my talents if I don't even know what they are. And if I did know what they are, would I be willing to use them? Because I just never thought that was something that I personally would do. But based on this scripture, there's some pretty heavy duty consequences if I do not use my talents. So passages like this literally scared me to death. And I decided, you know what, if this whole Christian thing is real, if this Bible stuff is true, then it's the most important thing there is in the world. And so I just started to try to read everything I could. We started going to, to classes. We would go to Wednesday night classes. We would go to Sunday school classes. We would go to conferences. I mean, if the church doors were open, we were there. If somebody says, hey, there's a guest speaker on Thursday night, and we're like, oh, we don't have church on Thursday night, so let's go, we would go. Because it's like, I've got to find out if this is real, if this is true. Because if it is, there's nothing in the world more important than that. So anyway, we started taking these classes, and now there's this one particular class we were taking, it's called Experiencing God, and I really liked it. But every time it would come up, we would take it, and it was a class that had like lots and lots of homework. But I was learning so much from it, but every time it would come up, um, we would get busy at work. And so I'd miss a bunch of classes and I'd get behind on the homework and I'd end up not finishing it. So when they would offer it again, we would take it again. So about the third time we're taking this class, um, after we finished the third time, we're in a church service one night and they announced that it's going to be offered a fourth time. I'm like, oh, good. Well, I think I maybe have gotten through it all. And they announced in church that I'm going to be teaching it. <laughs> Nobody ever told me this. I mean, I had never spoke at church at all. And I'm like, wait, what? And I'm like, what, did you fail it three times? You automatically get to teach it? I'm like, that was just so weird to me. But it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it challenged me to jump to a completely different level than where I was at. I was already experiencing some spiritual growth. I was already way outside my comfort zone. I already had every one of my friends thinking I was completely crazy and joined a cult and all that other stuff. And now I'm going to be... Uh, teaching classes. Um, it's amazing whenever you have a faith that doesn't cost you anything, how easy it is to believe in it. But now I'm faced with the situation where it cost, it's costing me something. It's costing me my time. I remember the first time we heard a message on tithing. I'm like, oh my goodness, this would have been a great day to have the flu. <laughs> And I'm thinking, I'm trying to calculate. I'm like, okay, 10% of what gross or net, first of all, you know, it's like, we're just going to assume that it's going to be net, you know, and then like after taxes, after deductions, after every possible loophole and tax loophole and all that, you know, so I'm still trying to do the math and I'm like, okay, I know for a fact, I'm not good at math, but it's not going to be the 20 bucks a month I give right now. This is going to be a problem. And so um, I even had my speech ready. You know, we got in the car and Tane's like, we're going to start tithing. And I'm like, whoa, pump your brakes. 
we're going to ease into it because there's just no way we can just start, you know, like writing like, you know, car notes worth of money to the church or house notes worth of money to the church. Um, so again, it really started to challenge me. Do I really believe this or not? And so we started tithing um, and have done so ever since. And God's done some amazing things in our life. You know, one of the first passages, everybody had like their, I noticed in our little group of Christian friends, everybody had like their life verses, you know, and they always had these nice ones, you know, like, oh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that was such a pretty verse and I liked it a lot. But for some reason, John 10, 10 was the one that always, always, always was on my mind. And John 10, 10 says, um, a thief only comes there to steal and kill and destroy I came so that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they have ever dreamed of. You know, and right there, to me, that kind of summarized the whole Bible. There's good, there's evil. There's God, there's the devil. The devil has a plan for your life, and God has a plan for your life. God loves you more than you could ever, 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 ever imagine. I love Tanya very much. This is my wife, Tanya. I love her more than any other human being on this planet. But God loves her infinitely more than I could ever love her. I mean, he just loves her like crazy. But at the same time, there is a real enemy out there. There's the devil. And he hates her guts. And he hates your guts. And he hates us so much because he hates God. And he knows that if he can hurt us, he can hurt God. And so his mission, 24-7, 365 days a year, is to attack you and to destroy you. His mission statement, to kill, to steal, and destroy, that's all he wants to do. He hates you so much. And so often I'll meet people and they act like, you know, the devil's not real. You know, oh, that's just like superstitious. I'm like, you know, one of the, one of the main ways I knew that Christianity was real was because of the fact that the devil was obviously extremely real. I could see him at work. I could see, it's like he was overplaying his hand. Like he was in some kind of a panic mode. Like he was going all in on certain things because he knew that I was, you know, uh, he kind of had me in one area and now he was, I was off to another. But, oh my goodness. So anyway, he hates your guts. Uh, he just wants to, he wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your faith and he wants to destroy your life. And he wants to do that for everybody that you know and love. So, but God is the polar opposite. God comes to give us life and to give us life more abundantly. God loves us so much. And I know a lot of people, I've, uh, I've gone on to teach Sunday school classes. I've taught small groups. I currently lead a college group. And I'm amazed at how many people I run into that have a hard time believing the fact that God loves them. It's almost as though they've kind of have, has, have committed the, the unpardonable sin or something. It's like, you know, God can't love me. You know, and really what it is, is that the devil's sitting there just telling them, you know, God can't love you. You're terrible. You're horrible. You, you just did this thing, and you're thinking this thing, and you're in the middle of doing this thing. And so, so many people are just convinced that God doesn't love them, that they got to get themselves fixed up. They got to make themselves right. They got to get their act together before they can ever come to God, and that's simply not the case. Um, I got to go on mission trips, which was a blast. I know when I first uh, started going to the new church, uh, that was one of my fears, that I, they might ask me to go on a mission trip one day, and I'm like, I ain't going, not going to happen. Um, by the time I, it got to where I was able to go on a mission trip, it was, uh, I was so 
excited. To, to this day, my favorite church in the world is a rickety, raggedy little church in Ecuador that you literally took your life in your hands just going up the steps to get into it. I mean, like there was like big rebar sticking out of the steps, you know, where it just was unfinished. And the church was about to fall down and we were going over there and we were helping them build a new church. And so over the course of like literally like a decade, we would go, other churches would go and help them build. And, they, and just like a, two years ago, they finally moved in to that, to that new church. So I realized that God loved me. I realized the devil hated me. I realized God had a plan for my life. And then the other part that came into play was I realized that we, were, we weren't meant to do this stuff alone. You know, one of the devil's biggest tricks is divide and conquer. He wants to separate you from people who care for you, people who love you, people who want to see you succeed, and he wants to put you along where you can basically just kind of fade out. It's interesting because if you look in the Bible, the very first bad thing mentioned in the Bible is found in Genesis 2.18. God said it is not good for man to be alone. You know, and in this, this passage is used all the time for marriage, which is great. It's definitely applicable to marriage. But this is, a, this is kind of much, a much bigger thing. This is kind of like the way God created the universe. It's like in our DNA that God created us to be in community. Loneliness was the first negative thing mentioned in the Bible. It is very, very bad for you to be alone. We're not meant to go through life alone. We're not meant to do life by ourselves. Loneliness is about as bad as it gets. There's a, a I, like last week I read a, a paper from a researcher in, from University of California, San Francisco, and he, they found out in their research that loneliness plays a large role in the decline that so many people associate with old age. So all the people, all the things that happen when you get old, you know, you start, you start losing your memory, you start getting very weak, and the statistics for, you know, when, how, you know, how long somebody lives after a certain age until they die, all was directly correlated to their level of loneliness. The, the, the lonelier they were, the more, like, by a long shot, susceptible they were to developing disease, to, to, not, to, to not living as long as the others. It's, it literally will kill you to be alone. Loneliness is where the devil plays on our insecurities. And so he starts to work on us with, you know, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, all those things kind of start playing in our head. You know, in, in all of creation, I don't think there's any, like, animals out there, you know, that are thinking, you know, I wonder if I look good in this new collar. You know, I mean, does this, does this make me look fat, you know, or is this good? I mean, humans are the only species that are worried about what everybody thinks about them. And again, that's just part of our insecurity is rooted in loneliness. I mean, if, 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 if I can't make you like me, I might end up alone. And that's a big fear. It's amazing that some of the, some of the most comforting words in the English language, no matter what you're going through, you could be going through the worst thing imaginable. And somebody comes alongside of you and says something like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here with you. We're going to get through this together. Stuff like that it just reaches down and grabs us to our core. 
Because there's, no matter, when you're already going through something terrible, the only thing worse than that is to think about having to go through it alone. That's part of being in a community. When you get plugged in into a community, you have people that are there with you. You have people that are there. Whenever you fall down, they'll pick you up. You have people in the good times when you're celebrating. They're there to celebrate with you. Whenever you're mourning, they're there to mourn with you. Whenever you have, you know, kids or whatever, they're there to, 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 to be your support group and to help you out. I can't imagine going through life without a community of Christian believers around me. You know, some of my best friends in the world, uh, currently, I would say all of my best friends in the world, are people that I've met through church ministries. The people that I used to hang out with, we just kind of either they got on board or we faded away. Um, you know, we just were no longer interested in the same things. It's not like I don't like them or they don't like me. It's just they don't have any interest to be here tonight, and I don't have any interest to be where they are tonight. Um, so it's just, it is what it is. Um, but the devil wants you to think you're the only one going through something. The devil wants you to believe that you're alone. And so that just feeds into to basically what, you know, what he's all about. Um, the, uh, one of the biggest differences between Christianity and other religions is found in John 1, verse 1 through 5. And it says, and I'm going to read it out of here, out of the NIV. Um, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, the Word was with God, and the, the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that had been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light for all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then you skip down to verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not receive him. He, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human de decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Creator become the create, became the created. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He knows what it's like to be tempted with everything that you're tempted with. God did something that no other being could possibly do. He came and he put himself in our shoes. He lived a human life. He died and suffered so that we would have eternal life. It's pretty amazing. That's it. God loves you. The devil hates you. You were created for a purpose. We need each other. And I just ask everyone to kind of just do a little bit of a scorecard for yourself. Where do you stand on those four things? First of all, if you don't know God loves you, then, then I would just say don't leave this building until you resolve that. Because there's just too much at stake. If you don't believe the devil hates you, uh, open your eyes. Look around. If you don't know what your purpose is, it's critically important that you find that. This church cannot be the kind of church that God called it to be without you doing what God called you to do. And if this isn't your church, then wherever is your church can't be the church God called it to be. 
if you're not doing the thing that he called you to do. You're a part of a body. And so if you're the arm, then you got a one-armed church going around. And yeah, it can live. It can survive. But it's not being all that it could possibly be. And that's one of the things that I, that I really appreciate about Pastor Kevin is that, that he talks all the time about being like a disciple, a church that makes disciple makers. It's not just about teaching you that God loves you, but it's also about teaching you to go out and teach others that God loves them. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, a numbers guy. And, uh, and, and I think it's interesting that the whole concept of exponential effect. And so exponential effect, you know, you, you, you probably heard it whenever you were, you know, at some point somebody probably says, hey, if somebody offered you a million dollars or they offered you like a penny a day, but it doubled every day, which one would you take? You know, and most people are like, oh, give me a million dollars. But if you take something and it doubles every day, then after like, you know, a hundred or after 10 doublings, it's like a million times bigger. After 30 doublings, it's a billion times bigger. So if you think about it, if we were to, if, if, if just one person in this room were to make the decision to spend one whole year pouring out their life into one other person that's not a Christian, and just, you know, being there with them, come alongside of them, you know, teaching them, mentoring them, all of that. And at the end of that one year, that person went and found somebody and did the same thing, and, the other, and then you went and found another person. And if you did that for 33 years, at the end of 33 years, you would have directly ministered to and come alongside of 33 people, one person a year. But if everybody you did went and did the same thing for someone else, and they went and did the same thing for someone else, and they went and did the same thing for someone else, at the end of 33 years, 8 billion people would be discipled. You know, we look, at, we look at the world and we say, oh, the world's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. Oh, there's just no way out. There's just nowhere to, you know, there's just, just nothing we can do about it. What am I going to do? Well, God isn't calling us to go out and necessarily minister directly to 8 billion people. But all of us could go out and reach out to one person, right? There's somebody in your life that God's put in your life for the sole purpose of just coming alongside of and saying, hey, you know what? Hey, guess what we learned in church this week? And, and man, I'd love to give you this book that I'm reading. Or let's go get coffee and, and talk about it. Or you're going through a hard time. Let me pray for you. Those are the kind of things that starts the wheels in motion. And it's basically called, you know, at first it's when you just tell people this is evangelism. And then as you start to teach them and, and, and come alongside of them, it becomes it's discipleship. And that's each of us doing our own part. Um, and it's very important that you that you. Find a church and you get planted. If this is your church, get planted. And I don't mean just like in the seat, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there's some amens right here. You know, get involved. Find out what your gifts are. This Sunday in our grow class is going to be the class on spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, tonight go read the parable of the talents and then block out your whole day on Sunday because there's nothing more important than finding out what your gifts are after you read the parable of talents. And then get plugged in. Start using them. So I'm just going to close. The last thing I just want to make a, a point about, and we've got a kind of a small group here tonight, but I just want to, to kind of tell a, a last little bit of my story. Um, I can remember whenever I finally got to the point where God was like, 
Mike, I hate to tell you this, dude, you're not saved. You're not right with me. And they did an invitation. And I knew without a shot, beyond a shadow of doubt, God was calling me to go down, respond, do something. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm kind of embarrassed, you know. You know, and then God's like, you know, that's pride talking. And I'm like, oh, but you don't understand. I'm hungover. I was so hungover that day. And so I went down. I responded. I went down. I actually rose my hand. It was one of those, you know, anonymous ones. So I'm just kind of like this little, like this number here. And then the pastor's like, why don't y'all come down if you rose your hand? I'm like, oh, man. So we went down to the front and he prayed. And the devil just beat me up every day. That wasn't real. First of all, you were trying to hide it. You were hungover. You're such a hypocrite. You're not saved. And I struggled with that. For like six months, I struggled with that. So then we go to this men's conference. And of course, they have a big altar call. And I'm like, Mike, you need to go down. You just need to go down. And I'm like, but everybody thinks I'm already saved. So now if I go down, you know, it's like a big deal, you know, and everybody's going to be looking at me and all that. And then about that time, my brother-in-law goes down. I'm like, I'm going down with him. So I go down with my arm around him like, I got him, I got him, I bring him down, you know, and I get down there and I'm like, oh God, me, me, not for, you know, oh yeah, Bobby good, but, you know, I need you, forgive me, all that. Guess what? The devil's like, you, you, you still, why are you hiding? You know, and he just used it to beat me up. Now I will say this, I was saved that first day. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. It wasn't, had I just sat in my seat, had I not raised my hand, had I not done anything, but in my heart said, God, I, I'm a sinner, I'm, I'm yours, you know, then, then that's the part where, where you get saved. But the devil used it against me. He used it against me for a year until finally I'm like, you know what, I'm getting baptized. And I went and I got baptized and I invited my family, I invited everybody. Um, I'm like, hey, this is, this is a day, my public proclamation. So I just got two challenges for you tonight. One, if you're like me, if you have either, A, never made any kind of commitment at all, or one that you think is like, you know, the real deal, then I just say, come down here. <laughs> or if you've made one, but the devil's beating you up, and he's like, you know what, um, I'm not sure about that. And he's, he's using it as leverage against you. Come down here. I mean, I'm sure that Kevin and Pastor Liz would love, 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 love to pray with somebody tonight to get that dealt with. And so if, there, if, if any of you are like that, I just invite you to come on down here because I can tell you it's miserable. It's miserable living a life where the devil has something on you. He's got some dirt on you and he's using it against you. And the other thing I would just say is, is that, you know, every, every Sunday we have opportunities for people to come up and pray. And, and I'm always amazed because I'm like, you know, I know that person's sick, but the minute service was over, they, they, they ran out the door. But we've got like 10 people up here or five people up here ready to pray. You know, don't miss those opportunities. You know, pray. I mean, this is part of our community. This is, we're not meant to do it alone. Take advantage of all those opportunities, every chance you get.